Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. We're so glad that you found us online and wanted to let you know that at Heights, it's our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places that you might visit on a regular basis. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us with a podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page as well. If you're finding us for the first time, make sure that you let us know you were here by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out the digital connect card. We're so glad that you found us. And if you have a Bible with you, uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to continue our series through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 1, we are going to meet the church of Ephesus uh, here this morning. So I want to welcome you, whether you are online with us today, uh, worshiping, or you are here in the room. My name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it is good to have you. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. Revelation chapter 1, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 1. So when you find that in your Bible, whether it's on your app, or in the paper copy, if you don't mind standing again, we are going to read the Word of God together today uh, like we do and honor Him uh, by standing in the reading of His Word. Revelation 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of Him who holds the seven stars in His right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patience, endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. Verse 4, Jesus says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Verse 6, yet this you have. You hate the work of the Nicolaitanians, which I also hate. And he ends in verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, and we believe this is the word of God that he has given to us, so we may better know him, worship him, and follow him. You may be seated. You know, in 1965, the Righteous Brothers released a song that is very popular still in our culture. Many of you can sing it. You know where I'm going with this already. It is that you lost that loving feeling, yeah? And whether you sing that song along with Tom Cruise watching Top Gun, Or whenever it comes on the oldies radio station you listen to, it's a song that we all can sing. You've lost that loving feeling. It's one thing to sing the song, but it's a whole other thing to have someone say that to you. For some of you, you've experienced the pain of someone looking at you and saying, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you the way I once did. For some of you, that was a spouse who had covenanted to be with you until death did you part, that at some point looked and said, I don't love you anymore. Some of you, it was a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It was some other relationship you had where I I don't love you anymore. 
When you lose that love that you once had towards someone, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a one-time decision. It's a slow drift that happens over a course of time of small decisions that leads to the one big statement, I don't love you anymore. I don't love you like I once did. As Christians, we can fall into that drift when it comes to God. As Christians, we can on the outside do everything that God requires us and demands us and calls us to do, but on the inside, we can have the slow drift away from God to where you say, God, I don't know if I love you anymore. This morning, I want you to ask that question to yourself, and this is the question I want you to ask, and I want you to be very, very slow in answering the question. Do you love God first in your life? Now, some of you, when you heard it, you said, oh, yeah, of course I do. Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, I I love the Lord first. No, no, no. I'm going to pose the question, and I'm going to ask you to be slow in answering it. Do you love God first in your life? See, I want you to meet the church of Ephesus this morning. The church of Ephesus is in the town of Ephesus. It's planted by Paul. Paul starts the church of Ephesus back in chapters 18 through 20 in the book of Acts. Uh, He writes to the church of Ephesus in the letter of Ephesians. Ephesus is one of the major cities within the Roman Empire in the province of Asia. Ephesus, by the turn of the century here when Paul's writing uh, to the seven churches, this book of Revelation, this revelation that Jesus is giving to John, that now John is writing to these seven churches, uh, this town, this area is a major area for the gospel because it has about 250,000 people in it. And so at that time, in that day and time, this is one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It's a port city, but it is a city and a culture that's given over to idols. One of the biggest idol in which they worshiped was the Roman goddess Diana. Uh, The the townspeople had built such a temple to Diana uh, that it was really known as one of the seven wonders of the world. It, you know, employed thousands upon thousands of priests. And so this, this group of Christians that call themselves the Church of Ephesus are within a culture that is idol-worshiping and not worshiping God. But what you find very, very quickly in the life of the church of Ephesus is they were doing a lot of very good things, and we're going to cover those good things. And Jesus says, guys, you're, you're knocking out of the park when it comes to these things. But then he says, there's one thing that I have against you. There's one thing you're missing. And this morning, that's why I want you to ask yourself the question, but be slow to answer, do you really love God? Because we don't want to lose that loving feeling we have toward the Lord. We pick up in verse 1. We see that, that Paul is again writing, or excuse me, John is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he identifies the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Remember the stars we learned in chapter 1 last week are the angels of the seven church in verse 20. Uh, that is going to be the pastors, the elders, the leadership of this church. But notice the position of the, of the people, they are in his right hand. 
And so this is Jesus who has us in his right hand. He's walking among the seven golden lampstands, we're told in verse 1. The lampstands are the churches. And so uh, that's taken us back to the Old Testament imagery of the lampstand that is in the temple. And there was the lampstand that had seven prongs to it, and they had all small oil lamps uh, on that lampstand. And the job of the priest was to make sure that the oil lamps were always lit, uh, that light was always going forth. All right. So again, Pastor Matt read it earlier, great verses to remember through our series. We are the light of the world. So what comes from us should be the light of the gospel. All right. But we know if we move away from loving the Lord, then that light begins to flicker. All right. That light begins to not shine as bright as it ought to. And this morning, some of you may go, man, I'm, I'm flickering. Right? I, just, I know that right away. There, there's not a love. I'm missing something in my heart today, and I'm missing something. Listen, there, there's hope for you in that. Right? There, there's hope for you, and we're going to get to that hope. But what we ought to collectively be praying about as Heights Baptist Church, as a, as a group and as individual people, is we want the light of the gospel to go forth from our church. We don't want that light to flicker. We want to shine brightly for the Lord. And so this is Jesus who is walking, notice verse 1, among the seven golden lampstands. So I, I love that phrase there. We, we recognize the presence of Jesus in all we do here at Heights, whether it's our student ministry, our children's ministry, the gospel, you know, the conversations there in the hallways you have, life groups here. He is walking among us. And I want you to notice what Jesus says the church is doing well. Verse 2, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patience, endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. So, so notice Jesus, verse 2, man, you guys are doing great, right? You, you're working hard. You're doing outreaches, you're bringing people to Christ, you're discipling people, you've got endurance. But notice he, he specifically says, you cannot bear with those who are evil. Now, who are those that are evil? Well, let's drop down to verse 6, because he identifies it there. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitanians, which I also hate. So this is a church that put high priority on holiness, high priority on purity, right? And, and that should be our priority as well. Where the Bible calls us to be holy and pure, we ought to call each other to be holy and pure and encourage each other along that path, right? And so this is a church that has purity and holiness up at the top of their priority. And so he says, you guys hate the work of the Nicolaitanians in verse 6. We're going to learn more about them in verse 15 because they're going to be mentioned again in the letters to the seven churches. But who are the Nicolaitanians? Well, there's, of course, sometimes in church history you can read a lot of different, uh, could have been this, could have been this, could have been this. Uh, one of the theories I hold to is that this was Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas is first found in the book of Acts in chapter 6. Uh, he's one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. He's one of those original seven that were called out from the congregation. And so I hold that this was Nicholas, that church history says that he was a believer in Jesus, and then at one time he turned, and he became an apostate, he became a heretic, he started a cult that was leading people away uh, from worshiping Jesus and put a lot of you know, uh, emphasis on idolatry and immorality and sin and claimed that Jesus was not the only way. So I want you to notice this. 
This is why I bring this up, because this is important. These were Christians that were making moral behavior decisions based on Scripture, not on culture. So I'm going to say that again. These are Christians that were making moral behavior decisions based on Scripture, not on culture. Why is that important? Because there's a lot of folks now in Christianity that are starting to make moral behavior decisions based on culture, not on Scripture. They're making, you know, gender identification decisions. They're making who they date decisions, who they marry decisions. They're making all these moral behavior decisions on culture and how culture's leading, how friend groups are leading, versus how Scripture is telling us to go. You know, in um, college, my first two years of college, I went to Western North Carolina um, University. And Western Carolina is in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, I was there for two years and then transferred to NC State where I graduated. And yes, my Wolfpack won another game today, so I'm proud of that, right? Okay. I stayed up to watch it to the very last interception in the end zone. My goodness, they almost lost a crazy game, right? But I was out in the mountains for two years, and I'm a mountain person. I love the mountains. I do not really like the beach. There's this thing called sand, and it gets hot, and there's stuff in the ocean that can bite you. I mean, I just I don't love the water, even though my kids do, and I'm constantly down at Surfside, you know, all summer long, and I just I don't love the ocean. I'm always in the ocean. Just I, I never can relax in the ocean. You know why? Because my favorite movie is Jaws, and I've seen it way too many times, right? <laughs> So the whole time I'm in the ocean, I'm just looking around, just looking around. I don't like to swim away from groups. I like to swim near people. Why? Because I'm thinking if the shark's coming, I'm going to be near people just in case they grab somebody else first, right? I'm not going to be the lone swimmer off to the group, the side of everybody else. Like, shark's going to hit. I want to be near people in case, you know, it's somebody else. And I know that may have painted me really bad. I'm sorry if that did, but these are the things that go through my head in the ocean. Like, just giving you swimming tips here, Okay. But so we were in the mountains of North Carolina. My freshman year, sophomore year, we had a group that liked to hike. And uh, there's about eight or ten of us in this friend group, and we would do a lot of hikes in the mountains because there was a couple of waterfalls nearby. And just beautiful, beautiful waterfalls we would hike to. And so we were on this hike one time to a waterfall we had been to before. We started off on the path. A few days earlier, there had been a major storm in the area, and we didn't know that this storm had closed down the path. There were some trees and other things that happened, and the path was closed down. So, you know, being college kids, the 10 of us, we're thinking, we got this. We've been here before. We don't need to follow the path. We know the way of the waterfall. So we get off the path, and we get terribly, terribly lost, right? We never find the waterfall because now, and sorry, youth, this is way before the days of cell phone with GPSs and all this, right? And so here we are, 10 of us in the woods. We are incredibly lost in the mountains. We emerge finally four hours out of the mountains. And when we emerge is we emerge at this area where there's a lake. And there's a couple of guys fishing at this lake. So here's 10 of us coming out of the, out of the woods, you know, walking up to these two guys fishing on the side of the lake. They're looking at us like we're crazy. We have no idea where we've been because we've been lost in the woods for four hours. So we asked the guys, and, and where the college was, was we were positioned on the border of North Carolina and Tennessee. And so we asked them, we said, um, excuse us, where are we? And they said, you're in Tennessee now. Oh, we're not in the right place. And they're like, where were you guys heading? So we kind of told them where we were heading. They're like, yeah, you're way off course. We're like, we know. 
and, and you, you parked at this little church. We were like, we parked at this little church off this highway, and they were like, you're 10 miles off course. Oh, hop in the back of our trucks. We'll drive you back to your car. Okay? I tell that long, drawn-out story to say this. If we would have stayed on the right path, it would have taken us the right way. We got off the path, and it took us the wrong way. When it comes to moral behavior decisions in your life that you have to make every day, whether you're a teenager or an adult, it's the word of God that is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You get off the path of the word of God, it's going to end you up in a place you don't want to be. And so this is a church that is doing all those things well. They have purity, holiness. They're making decisions according to Scripture. Paul also says, listen, you, you guys are, are patiently enduring. He says in verse 3, I know you're patiently enduring and bearing up for my name's sake, and you've not grown weary. I mean, this is a church positioned in a culture that has not embraced Christianity, that is hostile to Christianity. I mean, this is a time and a place in this culture, in this moment, when they refused to worship Diana, they would have been maligned, slandered, abused, boycotted in their own community. Life for them was not easy. For you and I, we have to recognize right now, we are in a culture that is not Christian. It's not even post-Christian. I mean, it's post-post-Christian. That is moving quickly and further away from the Bible. So you and I are going to have to patiently endure how we can be light in a culture that no longer embraces the values it once did in America. We're going to have to learn to patiently endure in the name of Jesus. That means teenagers, adults, there may be times you stand up for your faith. You're going to be maligned. You're going to be called names. You're going to be fired from a job. You're going to be kicked out of a friend group. You're going to have something said or done to you because of your faith in Jesus. But is that faith worth it? Do you love Jesus enough to stand up for your faith in a culture and friend groups that are sometimes moving away from Jesus? Do you love him enough to draw the line in the sand just as they were doing? They were doing a lot of things great and right. But this brings us to verse 4. In verse 4, this is where they are missing. Verse 4, Jesus says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned, or your translation may say forsaken, or left the love you had at first. Man, could you imagine Jesus saying that to you today? Well, you, you've lost that loving feeling. You've lost that love for me. And I'm sure when this letter was read out loud in church, there are a lot of church members sitting out there going, that ain't us. Look at all what we're doing. Look at all how we're acting. We're, we're making right decisions. We're doing good things. We're, we're standing up for our faith. We're, we're, we're checking all the boxes. This, this isn't us. I mean, Jesus may be talking about somebody else that isn't attending this morning, but when me in attendance, he's surely not talking about me because what is that first love? Right? Verse 4, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What is that first love he's talking about? Well, let's just kind of boil it down this way. There's two commands in Scripture. Top two commands of all the Bible Jesus summarizes. Love God first. All your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then what? Love others. Right? Jesus says, hey, I can summarize all the law and all the commands in two commands. Love God first. Love others. That's the love they abandoned. 
It's a love for God that's not burning brightly. And if you don't have a love for God, you're not going to love others. If you say you love God and you hate others, you don't love God. I mean, that's what Scripture is going to tell you. If you say you love God and have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, the love for God's not there. It's flickering. It's not bright. Because those two things are going to go hand in hand. I love God. I love people. Right? So the, the greater my love is for God, the greater my love is for my neighbor. The greater my love is for God, the greater my love is for somebody that doesn't look like me, talk like me, vote like me. The greater my love is for God, it doesn't matter from what country they came from or how they came. Now, because I love God and God loves me, I love them, right? All those things go hand in hand. So the love for God flows out for a love for people. If there's not a love for God, there's not a love for people. There's a disconnect. So Jesus is showing them that disconnect, and is that disconnect in your heart today? Is there a hatred toward a people group? Is there unforgiveness in your heart that's affecting your love for God? So therefore, you've left that first love, and now Jesus is saying this. I want you to come back. Here's what I love about the Bible. Don't ever miss this. In the Old Testament, a lot of times God will pronounce judgment coming on a nation, right? Hey, if you you guys don't get right, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. But what you always find with God's wrath, anytime you read it in the Bible, is his mercy. Every time you read about his wrath, you read about his mercy. Every time God says, I'm bringing judgment, he gives an opportunity to say, no, I don't, turn around, come back to me, repent. And notice the chance to get things right comes in verse 5. He says in verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So there's, there's two conditions of repentance here. There's two conditions of getting back on track. He says, remember and repent. That's condition number one. See? So remember from where you were. Remember what it was like to love the Lord first. Remember what it was like in your life at a time where that lamp and that light for Jesus was burning bright. I, I'm assuming all of us can at least point to some point in our life as believers in Jesus where you can say, man, right there I was on fire for the Lord. Man, I, I love the Lord first in my life. He says, remember that. He says, repent. For those of you that may be new in, in, in church life, uh, repent's a, a, a real easy concept to understand. It's kind of a churchy word we use. The Bible uses it. But repent essentially means this. You change your mind, you change your heart, you change your action. Right? So, so it means to turn. Right, so to turn around. So one way I like to describe repentance is this, because I have done this more times than I care to admit out loud, but I'm sure you have done this, so I know I'm in safe company here. Right? When you're driving in downtown Houston, how many of you would admit with me that you have turned down the wrong way on a one-way street? Right? Okay. A few of you, thank you for being honest, a few of you just know how to read street signs better than I do, obviously. Right? But there are times that I have turned down a one-way street, and here's the thing, not knowing I was going the wrong way. So I'm going down a one-way street, and now another car is coming at me, and I'm thinking, why are they going the wrong way? What's wrong with that guy? And then I realize all of the cars are pointing in the direction they should not be pointing in, and then I realize I'm the one going the wrong way, not that guy. So repentance happens in that situation where I have changed my mind. Oh, wait a minute, go on. No, 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 I'm going the wrong way. I've changed my heart and my affections in this situation. I don't want to get hit. I don't want to go the wrong way. So now what have I done? I've completed repentance, and I turn around and go the right way. Right? 
So repentance happens in sin when you recognize in your mind that biblically that's a sin. You change in your heart. I don't want to sin against God. I don't want to do that action. So now I repent. I've stopped. I've turned. I'm walking away from that. I'm not going to do that. Here's where so many people fall short. They want to feel emotionally sorry for their sin. God, forgive me. Forgive me. And you may even tack on another little kind of religious prayer we like to throw on. Lord, if you'll forgive me this time, I'll never do it again. Right? Have you ever uttered that? I have. But that's not repentance. That's just being sorry. Repentance is, I'm going to change my mind, my heart, my action. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop going down the wrong way on a one-way street, and I'm going to turn and go the right way. So Jesus is calling them. He's calling you. He's calling me. That if verse 4 is true in our hearts, to remember the love that God has for us, to repent, and then notice the second half of the verse, and do the works you did at first. Do the works you did at first. What are the works you did at first? It's this. It's simple. Love God first. Love other people. Love God first. Love other people. It's getting back to the basics of what God calls us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. This isn't complicated stuff. Glorify God in your life. Make disciples of other people. Be salt and light. I mean, that, that's, you can boil it all down to those three things that Jesus calls us to do as Christians. Glorify God in our lives. Worship him. You know, be salt and light out in the community. Right? We're, we're being light. We're encouraging other people to follow Jesus. And then we're making disciples. We're encouraging people in their faith. We're building people up in their lives. That, that's, that's my goal for you here at Heights Baptist Church. Like, I, I, I don't want a mega church. You know what I want for us? Not to be a mega church. I want for you and for me to be a disciple of Jesus that's faithfully following him. Because you're in my care as the pastor. And you know what that I want for you? is to get ready to meet Jesus one day. That's my heart. That's my goal, to help you get ready to meet Christ, to be a disciple who's going to make more disciples to get ready to stand before the Lord. As Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, to help you become complete and mature in your faith. That's what we want to do at Heights if you're new with us. We want you to be a follower of Jesus, loving and leading all people to a new life with Christ. And so he says, here's your opportunity. I'm calling you to repent. I'm asking you to come back. I'm pleading with you. And here's what's going to happen if you don't. He says at the end of verse 5, If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The end of verse 5, Jesus is telling us that there is not in his playbook a plan for a church not to love God first. So again, this is a church that looks good. Everything looked great from the outside. This was a church that was missing something on the inside. Of the hearts of their members, the hearts of their leadership. And that was a love for the Lord. And why is it important to have that love for the Lord? Why is it important to love God first? Because notice verse 7, the promise that is extended to the church of Ephesus, the promise that is extended to Heights Baptist Church and where you sit today. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So yes, this letter is written to one specific church in Ephesus, but by him saying to the churches, it's going to apply all throughout time to all of us. 
to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What does it mean to be an overcomer? You may have that in your translation. What does it mean to be a conqueror? You may have that in your translation. Well, John says it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. He says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So the one who has faith in Christ as Lord and Savior is the one that is a conqueror, the one that is overcome. So Jesus is saying, love me first, have faith in me as your Lord and Savior. You're a conqueror because I've done that. All right? It's nothing that you and I do. It's because of Jesus now we are conquerors. It's because of Christ and who he is in our life. We are hanging on to his victory and what he's done on our behalf. And he says, when you have that faith in me, here's the promise. That in paradise one day, you'll be in the presence of sin no more. One day in paradise, which is a synonym for heaven. One day not in the presence of sin anymore. One day not in the presence of evil anymore. One day not in the presence of pain anymore. One day in the presence of Jesus for all of eternity. You want to know what makes heaven heaven? Here's one simple answer to that. What makes heaven heaven is this. It's Jesus. That's what makes heaven heaven. If there's no Jesus in heaven, it's not heaven. I mean, it's not heaven if Jesus isn't there. But because Jesus is there, heaven is heaven. And because now you have faith in him, that's the promise you have. So this morning, let's get back to that original question. Do you love the Lord first in your life? Because I want you today to remember where you were headed. In your life, you were headed to hell. Remember, what was taking you there? What was taking you to hell was your sin. And remember who saved you and now is going to take you to heaven one day. And his name is Jesus. I want to thank you so much for watching today's message. And just want to ask you an important question. And it's essentially this. Have you made a decision in your life to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? You know, there's a man in the Bible one time that came up to Christ and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And maybe today you're sitting there thinking that exact same thing. I know I have a lot of things in my life, but I'm not sure I have eternal life. I'm not sure I have the forgiveness of my sin that's promised by Jesus in the Bible. And Christ told that man, you have to follow me. And so that's what the Bible tells us, that in order to be saved, We follow Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And to follow Him means this. We trust Him. By faith, we're trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. By faith, we're trusting in His death, burial, and resurrection from the grave for the forgiveness of our sin. And so, in order to start that relationship, place your trust and faith in Christ. I know a lot of people maybe overcomplicate it, but the Bible says what you do is pray. Just call out to the Lord. Romans 10, 13 says, For whoever calls out the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I just want to encourage you right now where you are, if you're ready to begin a relationship with Christ, you can simply just bow your head and pray with me. Say, Dear God, I'm ready today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. By faith, I trust in His death, 
burial, and resurrection. God, thank you for saving me from my sins and giving me eternal life with you. I want to invite you, if you prayed that prayer with me, to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org slash connect. And there on that connect page, you're going to see a little tab that says decision. You click that decision, fill out that information. That's going to come right to me and we'll be in touch with you no matter where you are because our mission here at Heights is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. So we want to just help you take that next step of faith. So go to heightschurch.org slash connect, click that decision button, and let us know that today you began a relationship with Christ. Till we see each other again, God bless.